Hello, and welcome to the Dyslexia Podcast. I am Dr. Kelly Sandman Hurley, one of your co-hosts and co-founder of the Dyslexia Training Institute. I am here with my co-host and co-founder, Tracy Bloxaretsky. We will be talking about all things dyslexia, from personal stories of dyslexic individuals, to advocacy, to intervention, to accommodations, to social emotional health and current topics and events. So let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our very first episode of the Dyslexia Buzz. I am Dr. Kelly Sandman Hurley, and I am here with my friend and my co-founder, Tracy Bloxaretsky. Hi, everybody, and welcome. Um, We are super excited to be hosting this podcast, and I admit a little bit nervous for our first episode. Um, We hope that the format we have created will be both useful and interesting. The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories of those with dyslexia, as well as talk about all things dyslexia. This will include talking about what dyslexia is, what it isn't, current insights into how to help and not help those with dyslexia. We're gonna debunk myths and misconceptions, share advocacy ideas and share current events and happenings in the dyslexia community. At the beginning of each podcast, we'll start with either myself or Tracy sharing the story of an adult or a child with dyslexia, which will lead us into the topic of each episode. But for this first podcast, we decided to share our own stories. We'll start by sharing how we became interested in dyslexia and why we care about this community. From there, there will, from there we will debug some common myths and misconceptions. I will start with my story and then hand it over to Tracy. Um, and the reason we're gonna do this is because a lot of people wonder, especially for me, because I don't have a child with dyslexia, Tracy does, But when we started, she didn't. And so people always kind of wonder, why do we care so much? And we have been given some feedback from a journalist recently that we should really share our story so that people understand who we are and where we're coming from and why we do care so much. So I'm gonna start with my story. And I've told the story several times. Um, When I use his name, sometimes I change his name, sometimes I don't. Today, I'm gonna use his real name. I don't obviously ever use his last name Um, But I'm going to tell you my story, and then I'm going to hand it over and let Tracy tell her story so that anyone who's listening has a better idea of who Tracy and I really are and why we do what we do. So I'm going to keep it brief, but my story starts with a man named Linford. And I tell the story often because it's important. It's a very important story to me. I was working at the adult literacy program of the San Diego Public Library, and I was an intern. I became an intern because I was working on my master's degree in education and I was working towards my teaching credential, which I never got (laughs) because I went to adult literacy and decided that literacy and dyslexia were much more of a passion than um, teaching. Um, But the real reason was I didn't have good uh, classroom management skills (laughs) and I realized that in myself. So I moved on to adult literacy. But Linford was a man from Jamaica who came to the library seeking help for his literacy skills. And it was my job to assess him in his current reading and spelling skills. He was my very first assessment. And as we sat down and started testing, he began to cry. And I mean, really cry. He had big tears. He told me of being shunned and abandoned by his family for his literacy issues. He told me that his mom actually kicked him out of the house because he couldn't read and his sisters could read. Um, He held his head down. He wouldn't look at me. He just he just looked broken and it left an indelible mark on me and it changed the trajectory of my life because as I was sitting there, I was thinking to myself, how can this be? How, how can this happen? This is obviously a very smart man, 
Um, one of the things that I used to always say when I worked at Reed San Diego was if you were able to find your way to Reed San Diego, because it wasn't that easy to find and you have the courage to call, make an appointment, go through the orientation, you know, show up at the appointment, meet with me, sit down. If you had all of that courage, you're probably pretty intelligent and highly motivated. So I just, you know, I was pretty young. I was like 28 or 29 at the time. And I just couldn't believe the story he was telling me. I just didn't, didn't realize that it was happening at that level. Um, and at that time I was trying to be a K-12 teacher, but that appointment just changed it all because I wanted to help Linford. And I wanted to help all the other students who came after Linford. <clears throat> and there were hundreds who came after Linford because that was at the beginning of my 12 year career at the library. So, like I said, I spent 12 years at the library helping students like Linford before Tracy and I finally decided to branch out and help kids and their families before coming, becoming adults. What's really funny is that after Linford, I decided I was going to find out everything I could about reading disabilities and dyslexia. I went on to get my doctorate in dyslexia and just recently finished my master's degree in linguistics. But, you know, it's uh, in that I've moved on. We moved on because we wanted to help kids before they became adults with dyslexia. But um, the adults are always why I'm here. Um, and Tracy and I, um, when we started, when we left the Reed San Diego to start Dyslexia Training Institute, we both had little children and we both thought that we were going to start Dyslexia Training Institute so that we could work from home and be stay-at-home moms, <laughs> but that did not work out that way. We travel more than we ever have. We present at conferences and do workshops and we, you know, it just exploded because people really needed the information. Um, but Linford was really the impetus of all of that for me. Um, but that is my story in a very brief nutshell about who I am and why I care about this community. Linford was a watershed moment for me. He changed everything, but there were many, many adults after him that just continued to add to my commitment. Um, I'm quite sure that in each episode, we'll share more about our history and how we got here. We will also share, like I said at the beginning, we'll be sharing stories of individuals at the beginning of each podcast. Um, because I believe that their stories need to be shared and um, we need to hear them in order to learn from them. So that is my story. And I'm going to hand it over to Tracy so she can share hers. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Um, I, so my story is a little bit different than Kelly's because I grew up in the great state of Minnesota and moved to California in the early 90s to escape the very, very long winters. And I'm a, I love winter, but I just want to visit it. I don't want to live in it. So my sister and I decided to move to Southern California where there is not winter unless you want to go up to the mountains and visit it, which is perfect for us. And um, my sister and I decided that we were going to have some playtime when we first moved out here and not get real jobs right away because we had both worked and gone to school uh, since we were in really middle school on because our parents owned their own business. So we worked at our parents' business and went to school through middle school and high school and then had to work our way through college. So, and then after college, we both got jobs. And when we moved to California, we decided to just get some play jobs. So we worked in the restaurant business for a little bit so we could have some play time, but I didn't feel like it was really fulfilling me all the way. So I decided to volunteer and I picked a children's literacy program because I love to read so much. And I was matched with a brother and a sister that were in elementary school. And after working with them for a bit of time and trying to help them learn to read, I realized they were both really, really smart. So it didn't make any sense why they were struggling with learning to read so much. So the director of the program, I went to talk to the director of the program and he told me they may have dyslexia. 
well, at the time, like most people, I thought dyslexia was seeing letters and words backwards. And he told me a little bit more about dyslexia, which made me realize I was completely inaccurate. And then I decided like Kelly, I'm like, I'm a reader and I want to know. So I started trying to find as much as I could about dyslexia and reading challenges to be able to try to help these kids. And I just thoroughly loved working with those them. And when they started to make progress, they were just both so elated. Their parents were so happy. And that was my start, which eventually led me to working at the adult literacy program where I met Kelly. Um, she, she actually, I was working there when she became an intern. And like Kelly, the first person I did an assessment on at the literacy program changed my life. And it was a Caucasian man about my dad's age at the time. And I could tell he was a very proud man, but he felt embarrassed having to come to the literacy program. And when we got to the part where I asked him about his school experience, he sat there for a few moments and was very quiet and didn't say anything. And then when he started to talk, he was very choked up and tried to tell me about what school was like for him. It was heartbreaking to see a very proud man break down about his school experience and how it made him feel to that very day. You could see, feel, I could feel his shame and his heart. Um, break and he actually had support it wasn't like Linford where his parents were trying to help him but he they went to the school and it was very difficult for him to be able to get help through the school because the school didn't know really how to help kids with dyslexia back then and unfortunately they way too often today don't and the kids had, had ignited my passion but him and many adults like Kelly said that I worked with over the last over those 15 years that I worked at the literacy program through fuel on my, uh, my fire passion to try to make a difference. And so we, in trying to learn about dyslexia, it was so difficult and try to learn about the appropriate way to help people with dyslexia. It was so difficult for both of us. Um, Kelly did go back to school and had to actually kind of, she'll probably share at some point, had to kind of fight to be able to do her dissertation on dyslexia. Um, but we were literally flying to or flying people out to us to learn more about the appropriate remediation for people with dyslexia. And we're like, this is just too difficult. So why don't we start something? Cause we were, I was in the middle of the adoption process and Kelly was pregnant when we started the Dyslexia Training Institute. And we thought we'd be these stay-at-home moms as Kelly said. But our whole mission was we knew teachers weren't being trained in our, in our universities about what dyslexia is, how to identify and how to remediate it. And so we wanted to provide a platform that was accessible via the internet, obviously, and was affordable and you take out travel costs and we do price our classes so because we know our audiences, parents and teachers and private practitioners that are trying to make a difference. And that's why we started the Dyslexia Training Institute. So that's a little bit about my story. And I did adopt two children from Russia. It turns out my son who was two and a half at the time uh, does have dyslexia, dysgraphia, ADD combined type and executive functioning deficit. And it's been a struggle. He's currently a sophomore in high school. It's hard to believe that he's that old already. Um, but he has always thankfully been able to read at grade level because we started his remediation literally when he was in preschool. So we have, um, but that doesn't mean school hasn't been a struggle all of these years. It certainly has had its ups and downs and we're, you know, having to get his IP and all of those things in place have been a struggle and um, we'll be I'll be sharing more about that in future sessions. So let's get down to the reason why we're here and let's start talking specifically about dyslexia and some information that will hopefully be helpful for all of you. For this very first episode, we're gonna talk about some of the myths and misconceptions about dyslexia. So we, why don't we start with the most pervasive one, which is the one I shared that most people think that dyslexia is seeing letters and words backwards. 
And so when we talk about dyslexia when, and we do workshops or online classes, we always ask people to share, what do you think of when, what comes to mind when you hear the word dyslexia? And it is the most common thing that comes up. And as Kelly and I always share with them, that's, it is the most common misconception, but it is not true. People with dyslexia see print like people without dyslexia. They don't see letters and words backwards. Kelly, do you wanna share what, why you think um, they have that common misconception? Well, it's, it's also pervasive. It's just pervasive everywhere. It's on social media, it's in TV, it's in movies. You'll see people, and I don't know if you remember, but a couple of times we've been to a conference where people will come up to us with a shirt. They'll look at our shirt and say, shouldn't that be spelled backwards? You know, at a teacher conference, do you remember that? Yeah, and for those of you that haven't seen our shirt, our shirt, the very front of it, all it says is dyslexia is real. Yeah, and they think they did, that's the first thing they think of. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm at a teacher conference. <laughs> I'm at an educator conference. This shouldn't be happening here, but it does. And it continues to happen. And I think that's what's super frustrating is that it's not, I don't want to say it's not changing because there are so many people out there doing so much good work, including us, <laughs> but lots and lots of other people doing much, much more work at the legislative le level. But I just feel like that myth and that misconception is just not getting any better. Yeah, it, I would agree. It, 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 it's, as you said, I think it's getting a little bit better, but it's, and it's taking just so much. And really until our universities start educating our educators, our general education teachers, our special education teachers, our reading specialists, um, our administrators about what dyslexia is, how to identify and what to do about it. I, it we, have a, we have an uphill battle. And we're, we've been going up that hill for a long time. And because we started Dyslexia Training Institute in 2008, um, we started as, to plan it and get it, get it going. And we're still here. And we started a new What is Dyslexia class just this last Monday. And um, people are posting. It's seeing letters and words backwards. And it's just like, wow, we always feel like, you know, we're out there doing some great work. And then we start another class and it's like, and we just have so much still to do. <laughs> yes, every day. And you mentioned that I had some pushback when I was getting my doctorate. Mm -hmm. And um, that that is part of the problem is that my professors didn't want to acknowledge that it was even real. I mean, not even the myth of seeing it, but letters and numbers and backwards, but that it was A, real and B, worth investigating. So luckily I did have three who eventually signed on. I don't know how interested they really were but it wasn't easy to find them because they really, it's still, and I was at a major university and they don't. College, I mean, university, both of them. Both, well, one, one, yeah, one was less interested than the other, but I just, um, it was just really interesting to be the only one that cared. I really didn't feel like it was, there's so much interest in things like, um, culturalism I mean I don't know how to say this but more like um classroom management is what I meant to say and things like that versus lesson planning there's like all this focus on these things but there didn't seem to be a lot of interest in really acknowledging why they can't read it's like one of the things I'm going to ask in all of my IEPs from here on out before the IEP even starts which I did in one IEP quite recently and we asked why do you think the student isn't reading why aren't they improving? And it was like crickets. They had, they, it's like no one had ever asked that before. So, you know, we really do have to get into those teacher training programs if anything's going to change, especially 
some of these myths and misconceptions. Absolutely. And, and often when we do ask uh, staff why they think they're not reading or parents will tell us they've heard from teachers, it's that, you know, they, um, they need to read to them more. They weren't read to enough when they were, were younger or that um, they're just, you know, have a developmental delay and they'll catch up. Don't worry, especially if it's a boy and they just go, oh, it's, they'll be fine. Just give them time. They just are a little behind. And that's really detrimental to our students. So the, the waiting to catch up is, is more than detrimental. It's like devastating. So when I, I've interviewed 50 adults for my book that I'm writing right now called The Adult Side of Dyslexia and the waiting part, they know that they're failing in first grade. They know their friends are reading better than them. They know they're in a different group. They know they're being pulled out and to just wait and wait and wait does so much damage to them emotionally and socially that that myth and misconception of they'll just outgrow it or they're just, what is it? What do they call them? Um, they'll catch up. What's the other word they late use? Bloomers. <laughs> late bloomer. <laughs> yeah. You're not a late bloomer. You're having, there's an issue. There's a problem with the way we're teaching and they know it. The kids know it. So to act like they don't understand what's going on is it's just, it's, it's, causes emotional harm and it's not okay. And, and we need to stop that as well. Yeah, we do. And one of the challenges and the reason that they're told that is because our universities have failed our teachers. You'll hear Kelly and I say all the time that we, this is not a teacher problem. This is not a teacher problem. It's a teacher training issue because they're not taught about what dyslexia is, how to identify it and what to do about it. My husband is a fifth grade teacher and he got his master's at a reputable university. So he went through the credential program and his master's program. And one night during his master's program, he came home and goes, oh, they finally talked about dyslexia tonight. I'm like, well, thank goodness. And he showed me all this stuff was from like decades and decades ago. I'm like, where's the recent research? And what did you guys even talk about? He goes, oh, it was just, I didn't say we talked to talked about it. We didn't discuss it. I said they brought it up. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my Lord, it was a master's program. And they're not even addressing the most common print-based disability there is. It's, they didn't bring it's it really up. Frustrating. They didn't bring it up once in my doctorate program. Not once. The only reason it was ever brought up was because of me. Never once. Yeah. And so, that's what was the a doctorate in literacy. Yes. Just think about that for a second. Yes. And as I, you know, we were talking about earlier that they don't teach, as Kelly said, in a doctor program, they don't teach. Our, we have reading specialists in our classes all the time who have not been heard about or trained about dyslexia. And they're a reading specialist. Like, how does that happen? They're not trained about the most common print-based disability. And so we, we love teachers. It's one of the reasons we started the Dyslexia Training Institute was because teachers aren't getting this information in their training programs. So we wanna make it, make it accessible to them, but also because parents, parents know in their gut, there's something wrong. They, we, when we meet with parents, they're like, I've always known, I have known for a long time. And, the, you know, and they went to the education professionals, they went to the schools and often the schools will say, oh, well, either dyslexia isn't real or we don't have to deal with dyslexia or they tell them to go to the pediatrician. They go to your pediatrician. The problem is dyslexia is not considered a medical issue because you can't give medicine for dyslexia. And so they, they go to the pediatrician and the pediatrician goes, go back to your school because they're the ones that deal with this. So it's not a, you know, it's not a medical issue. And so they get caught in this 
um, cycle of nobody being able to really provide them help and information. And it's one of the other reasons we started the Dyslexia Training Institute was to reach out to parents, not just educators. And you know, what's interesting is I took my son to his annual appointment, which has now become like every four years, <laughs> um, <laughs> last week. And I hadn't seen his pediatrician in, in a couple of years. And he, at the very end, he was walking out and he was literally, we'd already said goodbye. And he turned around and he goes, oh, how's school? And I'm like, oh, interesting. Cause not, there's a little form you have to fill out before you go in checking, you know, that your, that your water heater is not too hot. You know, those questions you have to answer. And, um, you know, it was like, his, it was like an afterthought, you know, I thought it was really interesting. Thankfully, I mean, I'm lucky that I can say my son is fine in school, but what about other people? It was such an, it was such an afterthought for him. If they're really thinking that their pediatrician's going to give them the help for this, then, you know, we've, like you said, have more work to do. And I think a pediatrician's office should be adding that to the questionnaire I have to answer before an appointment. But again, you know, pediatricians have a lot of things to worry about. So I'm not putting any blame anywhere. I'm just thinking about ideas out loud that could help. But another myth is that, um, that we want to talk about a little bit is that spelling isn't important. And if you know anything about me and Tracy, you know that this is something that um, is, <laughs> is obviously not true. Um, spelling is very important. Spelling also causes, causes a lot of social and emotional frustration for people who have dyslexia. I've never met a person with dyslexia who could spell very well. Have you, Tracy? Uh, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> never. So, you know, when people call and and, or they, you know, they're talking to you um, on a casual basis and they say, I think my kid might have dyslexia. My first question is always, how is their spelling? And if they tell me their spelling is fine, then I'm like, it's most likely not dyslexia. Obviously, I'm not going to tell them it's not dyslexia because I can't determine that from a casual conversation. But if a person is struggling with spelling, it's not because they are darn intelligent or, or basically that it's not because they aren't intelligent, which is another thing that gets um, put out there in the media and social media. I saw um, something recently about someone mocking somebody for not being able to spell. And I'm like, you know, I get it. It's funny. Oh, I think I was listening to a comedy show and they were talking about spelling and I'm like, you know, it's funny, but it's not funny. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because it's it's traumatic for people who want to connect and they can't even connect in a in a social level because they get made fun of because of their spelling, especially and in this virtual environment. Word. When I ask people, like, let's talk about reading out loud for a second. So, when you ask adults to use one word to describe reading out loud, do you know what word they use? I do, but I don't know if the audience does. <laughs> Well, I'm asking you, trauma, <laughs> terrified. Um, I just wouldn't do torture. it, run out of the room. I mean, torture. torture, torture. They use the word torture all the time. So, you know, asking someone who's struggling with reading to read out loud in front of their peers um, makes zero sense. And there's really no pedagogical, <laughs> pedagogical reason for doing it. I could never say that word. Um, there's, no, there's no research that supports the use of it. So I actually got, um, I was teaching at a community college um, when my son was about one and I was teaching a, a developmental reading class. And I remember um, it was, it's in the English department. 
So my supervisor was an English professor, not a reading professor. And she came, she really liked making people read out loud. She thought that I should be making all my students read out loud. So it's a community college here in San Diego. There are probably 40 to 50 students in the class. And I inherently knew I wasn't going to make these kids read out loud because they're in a developmental reading class. They're 18, 19, 20 years old, struggling with reading. <laughs> so why would I do that? Can you imagine reading in front of being 18, 19, 20 and struggling to read in front of your peers? And she came in and observed me and then basically gave me a really bad review because I didn't make them read out loud. So you know, I just think we need to be really aware of what we're doing to people when we do that. Absolutely. And, and like you said, unfortunately, way too often, uh, it's tied to intelligence. Um, or when we talk about dyslexia, people talk only about the reading aspect and don't talk about the spelling and writing aspect of dyslexia. Because it reading is if they have difficulty learning to read, learning to write is even more complex in the brain. So they're definitely going to have challenges with, with getting their thoughts out and putting it on paper for various reasons. Now they may have beautiful, eloquent thoughts that they can express orally, but to get it on paper is what becomes a big challenge for them. And they may have the comorbid condition like my son does with dysgraphia. And my, um, my kids made Christmas cards for my parents and my husband's parents for this last Christmas. And we mailed them and my mom called me. She goes, oh my gosh, she goes, Joey's still just struggling so much with his, with writing. And I'm like, he actually is a really good writer. He, he hand wrote his, um, his, his card. And so you could see his dysgraphia on full display and it's really, he's got really severe dysgraphia, but he wanted to hand write it and that was fine. And um, I go, he's actually a really good writer. In fact, today his, his English class, the teacher was really frustrated there in English three right now, uh, high, school, high, high school English three. And she's like, by this point, you should be able to write a paragraph. You should know when to capitalize. You know, like she was really frustrated because they've done some writing assignments. And she goes, I'm gonna put you in breakout rooms. And um, if you, in breakout room one, they had to work on this skill. On breakout room two, they had to work on other skills. And she, I think she had three or four different breakout rooms that took up, over half of the class and the rest of them that weren't going into these breakout ones to work on some skill that they needed to work on were able to do the lesson that was planned for today and because they were demonstrating they knew the skills and I was so proud that my son was in the group that got to do the lesson today because he is a good writer because we have all the appropriate accommodations in place for him he has great thoughts he uses his accommodations he uses them well and, you know, it's so it, but it's only because he started his remediation when we we're in, literally in preschool, we started his remediation. And, but if he's asked to handwrite, oh, nobody's going to be able to read it. It's really, it's really hard. So um, if you looked at, at his handwriting, you'd think he has some kind of um, intellectual disability because it looks that bad. You look at his typing and you're like, oh, this is a really smart kid. And it's the same kid. So, you know, it, it, it's traumatic for him when people ask him to write in front of him and in front of them because his dysgraphia is so severe. For sure. And, you know, a couple of things too, is you might want to, um, A, um, describe what dysgraphia is and um, B, in San Diego, um, just so you know, in San Diego, we are completely virtual. So I know there are places in the country people are going to school. So Tracy's talking about um, breakout rooms. We're um, completely virtual in San Diego still. And um, the third thing I was going to mention, I just forgot, and it was important. 
Oh, accommodations. So we'll be talking a lot about accommodations as we go through episodes. Um, I think, you know, Tracy will share, I'm sure you'll share the accommodations that have been helping Joey to get to the place where he's at. And then sharing lots of accommodations um, that have come up that people describe as being really useful. But what is dysgraphia, Tracy? So dysgraphia has many symptoms like dyslexia. Dyslexia is not, does not have just one symptom. It has a range of symptoms and each symptom can be mild, moderate, severe, to profound. The same is true with dysgraphia. There's not just one symptom. There's several symptoms and it can be from mild, moderate, severe, to profound for each symptom. My son happens to have one of the symptoms he has is the actual letter formation, being able to write on a line, being able to keep his letters consistent, um, size, uh, he looks, if you look at his writing, you'd think he's a preschooler, honestly, or a kindergartner, because uh, his handwriting to this day, and he's had handwriting without tears. He does not have technically have fine, fine motor skill issues, um, but we've done a lot of remediation. It just, his is so severe. It's really challenging the actual physical act of handwriting. Dysgraphia can also affect their ability to compose their thoughts and get them in an order in which to get them on paper or, they, or while they're composing their thoughts because it's such it's so laborious for them to get that on paper. Um, they lose their thought process because it's just so laborious for them to get it onto paper. And so it can, it can impact not just the actual mechanics of, of the physical act of, of writing, but also how they're able to do composition. But being able to type, I started him typing literally when he was um, in in first grade, and he's he's a great typer now. But he's also had certain accommodations with his typing, um, like predictive software and stuff. We have to be a fairly de- decent typer. And as Kelly said, we'll talk about accommodations and things like that um, more in the future. And we can talk about um, have an episode that we talk about comorbid conditions at some point in the future because he also has the executive functioning deficit, um, and he has ADHD. Uh, with a lot of H in there. So, you know, they're not everybody with dyslexia has a comorbid condition, but it's also not uncommon. But those are things that we look forward to having conversations with you guys in the future. Yes, and please feel free to go to our Facebook page, which is Dyslexia Buzz. And you can post any questions that you have there, any comments that you have there so that we can make sure that we are actually providing content and information that you need and are interested in. Um, I think we could wrap it up now, but I do want to leave you with some advice. I'm going to leave you with some advice. We are going to leave you some advice. And then we're also going to leave you with some resources. So at the end of each podcast, we'll leave you with a little bit of advice and then um, some resources because we don't want to overwhelm you with resources each time, but there are a lot of really great resources out there. So here's our advice. (laughs) Our advice for episode one is if you're a parent and if you're a teacher, don't wait don't ever wait. Don't wait for the, the reversals to go away. Don't wait for the spelling to get better. Don't wait for them to be more motivated. Don't wait until they find a book that they like. I've heard that so many times. I just, I'm going to tell you my son's fifth grade teacher. I heard her say at back to school night, she said, a child who doesn't like to read is a child who hasn't found the right book yet. And I like literally sat there speechless because I, choose not to make waves in my son's own classroom. I will make waves in your son's classroom, (laughs) but I just don't in my own. I let other people do that because of, because just because that's my choice, but you know, that's just don't wait for any of that stuff to happen. It's not okay. The child knows they're, they're failing. The child knows they're behind. The child knows they're struggling. If you're a parent, Tracy and I are both parents. 
we trust our gut. If I know something's wrong, if I think something's wrong, I'm not going to let some third party tell me nothing's wrong. So um, don't be scared to be that parent. Don't be scared to be that teacher. Don't be scared to be the parent that, that speaks up. Don't be scared to be the teacher that speaks up. Somebody has to speak up for these kids because like I always say, these kids with dyslexia become adults with dyslexia and the adult and the kids with dyslexia who don't have the advocate, don't have the parent who's advocating for them as hard as they can for whatever reason, there's no blame there. There's a lot of reasons that parents aren't advocating or don't know their rights. It's not a personal attack on anybody. There's a lot of different reasons, but if they they don't have an advocate, and I will just add to that story just a little bit. I've done observations as an advocate And I've, after the observation, I was hired to go observe my client, but I can't help but observe all the other kids in in the situation I'm observing. And I've gone to my car more than three times and shed a tear because of the kids I wasn't observing. So they were clearly struggling and they needed an advocate too. And it just, it hurts to see other kids who don't have the advocacy and don't have the person who wasn't willing to wait and wasn't willing to wait and you know, wasn't scared to make waves. So that's my advice. Tracy, do you want to add to that at all? Um, I would just say I, sometimes it's that parents don't have the resources to be able to get right. the extra help that their kids need. And that's really sad. And Kelly and I have a lot of passion for trying to um, help in that situation as well, because it's, it's why we do People ask why we don't start a school and help kids with dyslexia. And I'm like, well, but then we'd be helping just that set of kids. But if we provide classes for parents and educators, we're going to make a bigger change overall. And that's what our passion is, is that we want to stop that funnel of kids who are struggling, not getting the help that they need and ending up in adult literacy programs. And, you know, this podcast is hopefully going to be another free resource that people can go to. Um, today was an introductory podcast, but in the future, we'll be giving more concrete advice and giving more resources and, um, and a pathway, hopefully, for parents and teachers and professionals and advocates and private tutors and all of the above. So I'm going to end um, with just a few resources that I think you might be interested in. Um, the first one is Dyslexiaville that was created by Peggy Stern. This is a great resource for kids who have dyslexia. Um, and so, yeah, I think you can just go to Dyslexiaville. Oh, you know what? Yes, it's Dyslexiaville. And um, I have to double check that. I'm not sure it's still called Dyslexiaville. So I'm going to go check that. It might be called something else. <laughs> but I think if you Google that, it might take you to the right place. And there's another podcast called Empower Dyslexia that I think you'd really enjoy. And as always, we'll probably say this every time. If you are in the United States and Canada, you can definitely check out Decoding Dyslexia. So if you are looking for local resources, look up your local Decoding Dyslexia or your statewide Decoding Dyslexia organization. And they usually are a good resource for local resources. If you're looking for say an advocate or a tutor or an attorney, those parents have already been down the road. And so they can also um, tell you what the local legislative um, what, what the legislative um, update is in their state as well. 
So we're going to hope to, in each at the end of each episode, share more and more resources. Those are the three for this time. We also have our own conference coming up. It's beginning on April 5th. We're doing a super early bird rate right now. So if you go to our website at dyslexiatraininginstitute.org and click on virtual conference, you will see the information about all of our presenters there, which we're very, very proud of. This is our fifth conference. So we weren't new to the virtual conference. This wasn't a pandemic related conference that we created. We'd already been doing it for many years. So we hope that you will join us there as well. Did you want to add anything, Tracy? Yeah, Kelly, while you were um, listing those resources, I did look up um, Dyslexiaville and it's actually Super Dville. That's right. If you go to Thank you. Super, if you go to Super, the letter D and then Ville, V-I-L-L-E.com, that will get you to that website. And Decoding Dyslexia, if you go to decodingdyslexia.net, that will get you where you can find your state. Perfect. Thank so you. I, I, knew, I knew it wasn't Dyslexiaville. Yeah. That's what it started as like and then it changed. Yes. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so thanks okay, for joining well, us. Thank it's you so much for listening. We hope it was helpful. We hope you will tune into the next one. Make sure you post at our Facebook page and our Twitter page and let us know what you think and if you want what you want more of. So thank you very much. Have a great day.